0: This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media.
1: This week we have a jam-packed episode covering everything from the Indiana primary results to the TTIP to Syria, Baghdad, CIA torture, a 2016 update featuring Caitlyn Jenner, Kurt Schilling. I mean, does it get better, Joey? It does not. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, so stick around. I think you're really going to like it. samson podcast oh boy coming to you live from stand up new york labs in new york city hello welcome to the program my friends my name is christopher flannery i'm joined as per usual by the best friend a guy could ask for sweet joseph Nowick. Thank you for the lovely intro. Absolutely. Uh, Evan, thank you for producing the program over there. What up? I took a little nip of, uh, I think it was Jim Crow's, Dr. Jim Crow's uh, bourbon, bourbon, Kentucky bourbon. So I'm feeling a little loose off the top. Well, you got some? Yeah, it has a harsh taste. It's not, you know what? It's like mouthwash. It's not the best uh, flavor, but it gave me a little pep to begin the program because Joey, let me tell you this. Yes. We most certainly have a jam-packed episode today covering everything from the Indiana primary results, potentially the most consequential statewide vote since Florida in 2000. Ooh. Right? Yes. Uh, We also have the TTIP, which is a U.S.-European Union trade deal that we're going to get into, a mass surveillance study that I find very interesting, and it kind of relates to something that we talked about last week, Syria and Baghdad. We got... Very interesting uh, bad things coming out of that part of the world, and we're going to have a little bit of discussion about that. CIA and torture lawsuits. I mentioned it last week. We didn't really have time to get into it. Rest assured this week we will be getting into it. Joey, I know that you uh, definitely want to talk about that situation. A 2016 update. It's a brief one, and it's really just an excuse to play a Caitlyn Jenner clip. Oh, nice. Um, I'm very proud of old Caitlyn Jenner. And we're going to get into that at the end of the program. So do stick around. And then we're just going to cleanse our palates with a little bit of an update about our old buddy, Kurt Schilling. And his, yeah. uh, he had a, a retort to ESPN. And I actually got a Snapchat that we're going to share about it. And, you know, we'll get into the whole thing. It's
0: kind of like it's baseball and he just throws up lobs.
1: Yeah. He's throwing serious meatballs down the pike and we're just smacking him out of the park on this podcast. Uh, we also, Joey, we're going to start with a couple of emails. I mentioned that last week as well. We've been getting a lot of emails there was two in particular that I wanted to bring up on this episode, and uh, you know we'll dedicate the proper amount of time to that. Before we do it, shout out to Joshua Latshaw. He's Latshaw Joshua on Twitter. He got in touch about the Tamir Rice cop when were, we were talking about Tamir Rice last week. Mm-hmm. I, I forget if Evan asked or you asked if the cop had faced disciplinary action or anything before the shooting, no, he didn't face any disciplinary action, but he he had failed the written exam a number of times before becoming a cop. Oh. He was rejected from other police departments before he joined the Cleveland force. So he, while he's not, you know, while it wasn't apparent that he was going to be a problem, in particular, he didn't have like a racist history or anything like that, he had failed the written exam a number of times. So maybe there was, you know. Not enough to go on, though. I don't think. No, not not that you would say. See, they should have done something about that. But I think there is, it does lend some credence to the idea of, you know, if a guy if a if a cop fails the written exam a few times, maybe he just shouldn't be a cop. Then, like, we shouldn't just let him try try again. You know, there's a reason why he's failing it. I can't imagine it's the most difficult. Like, if you are physically capable of being a cop and you can pretty easily pass the exam, great. That's what we're looking for. If you're ever struggling with the written exam, we probably don't need you to be on the force. You know what I mean? I think that's a, that's a reasonable thing to say. So you say what? Fail two times, you're done? Three times? Two, I think two times, yeah. Two times. And that's being generous. If you fail the first, I mean, okay, two, we'll say two times. Okay. If you fail twice, you're, you can't be a cop anymore. Sorry, it's just I try something else. It's not your thing, buddy. Uh, it's too dangerous because you might end up killing a twelve-year-old accidentally, and I, I don't know if that's a factor or not. But it, clearly, the kid's dead. All right, Joseph, mm-hmm. would you like to get into some emails at the top of this program? Hit me with the email. Sure thing. We got an email from Colin. Hey Chris, I just started listening. I assume he means Hey Chris and Joey, right? But some people, they know that I'm responding to the email. So the Samsonites, I mean. Hey, Chris, I just started listening to your podcast after hearing a lot about it from the TFM podcast with J-Train and decided to give it a listen. Well, thank you, sir. I kind of resisted it because I tend to lean conservative, but I'm always down to listen to differing points of view and have some intelligent discussion about politics. So I finally gave it a shot and I really liked it. I don't always agree with you, but it's still nice to hear some intelligent guys having open, frank, intelligent discussion on a lot of the issues. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I obviously, I've gone back and forth with Colin a few yes. times over email. This is the first time we were addressing it on the show, but I told him and I've said it a number of times. I like when people don't agree with us. Don't get me wrong. I love when I get tweets and I get comments and people like, you're absolutely right. Good call. You're doing a good job. But when people don't necessarily agree with my point of view, but can still listen to the show and get something out of it and they appreciate it for what it is that I really like as well. Yeah, of course. Now enough nut feathering. Oh boy. Uh, he says, I do have a bone to pick with you on the point from episode 76, Politics of Fear, specifically cutting the defense budget in half. I always hear Bernie Sanders go after go after this, and then Francis says, full disclosure, the only candidate I can even reasonably see myself supporting is Kasich, too late, <laughs> uh, even though he has a, uh, as much a chance of winning the nomination as I do. Yeah, well, got that right. Uh, the reality, though, is the defense budget isn't what people think of it. First of all, I'll say this, by the way, as I'm reading the email, I wrote, I had to do a little research to respond to this Uh email, get some figures and facts and stuff, um, and I'll I'll break up the email with kind of my responses as we go. First of all, I think it's a little misleading to just say it's $700 billion when you don't frame it in terms of percentage of GDP or percentage of budget. In absolute dollar terms, the amount of money I spent on alcohol probably sounds preposterous to some people, but as a percentage of my budget, it's actually not that ridiculous. Similarly, in absolute terms, nearly $700 billion, yeah, defense spending sounds crazy, but as a percentage of the overall budget, it's nowhere near the biggest slice of the pie. It's about 16% with Medicare and Social Security both checking in at 25% each. And as a percentage GDP, it doesn't even come close to the world's biggest spenders. We are at 3.5% of our GDP for defense spending. Saudi Arabia is a whopping 10.8%. Russia, 4.5%, et cetera, et cetera. Let me say this about Saudi Arabia. You're goddamn right they're spending a lot of their money on defense. They're in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. They're just in the middle of like a, a, a really dangerous part of the world. But okay, I, I understand the point, but I will push back a little bit on this. It doesn't to me. It doesn't matter percentage. Like, oh, okay, we're only spending sixteen percent of all the money we have on on military. Maybe that number should only be eleven percent. I to me, it doesn't really matter percentage. I understand the logic of that, where Mm -hmm. you can make it more palatable and it becomes more reasonable when you're saying, yeah, it's only X amount of the overall piece of the pie, but the number is still seven hundred billion dollars, or you know, whatever between five fifty and seven hundred billion. That's a lot of money, no matter how much money you have. I don't think we need to operate in... We can operate in a vacuum and say the military budget's too big. But I understand the point. Not only that, but in terms of percentage of GDP, GDP, defense spending is at a near historic low. We're at 3.5% of our GDP, and the historic average is about 8%. That is true. Okay. This is my response to that first part of the email. There's a second part, my response, and then we can move on to the next one. 1.3 million active-duty military, Joey, and Mm -hmm. 800,000 reserves totaling 2.1 million, let's call them employees of the military, all right? So total, we're paying for 2.1 million people in the military. That 2.1 million people, as Colin pointed out, are getting 16% of the federal budget. They're getting 53% of the discretionary spending, which is 29% of the overall budget. The disc- discretionary budget is 29% of the overall budget. Mm-hmm. of that discretionary budget goes to the military. 16% of the overall federal budget goes to that, all right? 16% to 2.1 million people. 319 million people in the United States. 25%, so 50% of the federal budget goes to both Medicare and Social Security, which, let me say this about Social Security, was paid into by workers. So it's really just their money going back to them. So it's a little misleading to characterize that as spending. But okay, I mean, it's just money that workers have put in mm-hmm. and they're owed back. And yes, of course, it's going to pay out to other people. But all right, whatever. But that's, that's a little misleading. But let's just say, fine, Medicare and Social Security spending is 50% um, total. I'm comfortable with half the money the government is shelling out going to its people. Plus, again, Social Security is just money the government takes and gives back, theoretically, to workers. So that's sort of a gray area in terms of federal spending. And there's 160 times more people in the country versus people in the military. So if you want to talk about percentages and of GDP and where money's being spent, I think it's reasonable to say, yeah, half the money that's being spent goes to the majority of the people. And sixteen percent only going to you know two point one million people is it out of whack percentage wise? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're getting a larger piece of the pie. Let's continue with the email, and then I, th- that's sort of just like putting it into perspective, and then I have like a real response to it. Also. One of the reasons, this is back to Collins' email, also one of the reasons the defense budget is as large as it is, is not because of, quote, propping up countries like Afghanistan and Iraq, or, quote, overseas wars, it's actually for much more boring and familiar to Bernie supporters things like pay and allowances, healthcare, barracks, uh, cafeterias, etc., He included a link. It's at mercatus.org, M E R C A T U S.org. You can go on there and you can look at the uh, Defense Department budget, Mm -hmm. which is where Colin is basing these stats on that he's about to get into. This is the 2014 budget, but okay, it's the same point. Take a look at the breakdown. One key thing to note, right up one thing I would note off the bat the defense budget actually doesn't even contain any money for wars. All of that is in a separate category of federal discretionary spending, which isn't legally considered the defense budget. It's called overseas contingency operations and amounts to about $64 billion. If you added it to the defense budget, the new revised breakdown would have overseas contingency ops being about 10% of the budget. Anyways, not counting overseas contingency ops breakdown is as such. I get into it, but I'm just going to say off the bat, that's bullshit and that money, it's not Collinsville, but that money should be part of the military budget. What, What are we talking about? But I'll get into that in a second. 34% 34% of the budget is ops and maintenance, overwhelmingly maintenance if you look at the breakdown. And a lot of the maintenance is like facilities facilities maintenance. 32% is personnel, primarily paying allowances, healthcare, retirement, etc. 18% is procurement, developing new systems and like buying equipment. And 12% is research and development. So my question is, where does a fi- uh, 50% cut, which is... Uh, Hold on, let me get that. So, my question is where does 50% cut, which is totally reasonable, come from? So, he's asking us, because I said 50% cut in the military, you can pay for everybody to go to college, it's totally reasonable. I just don't see a 50% cut being even remotely reasonable seems like we're at odds here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's no scenario where I don't see a 50% cut involving some massive cuts to pay and benefits, healthcare benefits, education benefits, et cetera. Very ironically, the very things that Bernie supporters are, maybe unknowingly, advocating cutting in the DOD to expand on a national level. Um, okay, so let me let me respond to that and then we'll wrap up Colin's email. By okay. the way, I mean, I've been going back and forth with Colin. He's a nice guy and, and yeah. you know, I'm not... He, we'll get into it. Okay. Based on the chart, this is my response... To this portion of the email, military personnel costs are thirty-two percent of the budget, which is one hundred seventy-seven billion dollars. Operations and maintenance, procurement, R and D, and other, which is a part piece of the chai the piece of the chart or a piece of the pie, everything that's not personal spending, are sixty-eight percent of the budget, which is three hundred seventy-one billion dollars, or four hundred thirty-five billion dollars if you add the sixty-four billion for overseas procurement. Okay, so for argument's sake. Let's say that everything the military spends, excluding personnel costs, which is what he's talking about—healthcare, retirement, all that stuff—is like four hundred billion dollars. Um, right. So you, you take you take the middle part, three seventy, four thirty five. Let's meet the middle, four hundred okay. billion. Okay. If you cut that in half, you get two hundred billion dollars, which would be a fifty percent cut to military spending related directly to blowing shit up type stuff. And then when you add the untouched military personnel cost of 177 billion, you get 377 billion dollars, 162 billion more than China, 215 billion, and Russia, 65 billion, or the next three closest military spenders, right? So we're still spending the most out of anybody on our military we've cut the amount of money that we spent on blowing shit up type stuff in half and you could still keep the medicare and, and the retirement stuff you can keep that all intact i don't have a problem with that plus like we do with overseas contingency operations if bernie sanders were president and got his way a big percentage of personnel expenditures in the military budget for entitlements would shift to the health care portion of the budget budget further cutting the military budget so in my mind saying 50 and that's how i'm breaking it down if you can cut the military budget in half, you can do it by simply switching some of it out of personnel and handling it through the military. Switch that to just every American citizen gets their healthcare, like Bernie supports. And then you could actually cut the war research. You could actually cut that stuff in half. And that's how it's reasonable. Right. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me, but you also went into a problem.
0: Do I? Yes. Because as of now, um, as you mentioned about the entitlements, mm-hmm. thanks to retirement and medical costs, by twenty twenty four, a hundred percent of the defense budget would be those entitlements.
1: Yeah, but that that yeah, but do you understand? Yeah, but here's the thing: mm-hmm. the, the reason why that's bullshit is because that assumes that with the technology we have now, that's not going to be the case. Eight years, ten years, whatever down the road, we're going to have medical advancements. That's the thing, it just assume, and it's also assuming based on the amount of injury and shit that is happening to soldiers now when we're at war we're fighting a bunch of different causes, if you're not in those situations and medical whatever improves and healthcare improves, those costs drop dramatically. That's why a lot of like projections that are done by different parties, they'll project out 10-15 years without acknowledging that things are going to be different because there's going to be different plans in place. They go, if we keep on the current path, we're not keeping on the current path. That's why we're ch- that's why we're arguing about this right now. That's why we're changing things. Three years ago, Obamacare wasn't a thing that you could talk about because it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Now it does. Now you have to redo all of those facts and figures based on what the current situation is. If you had a Medicare for all system, you got to rethink the entire goddamn projection. You understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? All right. Let's so wrap up Colin's email here. And let me say this. I really do appreciate Colin's email. I Good. You should, if you feel strongly about something, send it an email. Challenge us even. And I'll admit when I'm wrong, I understand that it sounds like a blanket when I go cut it in half. Yeah, of course I don't want people's uh, b- you know benefits to get cut. A- absolutely not. But I think there's ways to do that, You know, mm-hmm. which I just laid out there. Full disclosure, I'm a captain in the Army. Been in for five years, and I always get frustrated when people call for the defense budget cuts. Naturally, I completely understand. My college degree was paid for with defense spending, which, let me tell you something, if Bernie were president, wouldn't have to be done with defense spending, it would just be done because you're an American citizen. My wages, and 1.5 million other Americans' wages is defense spending. My healthcare is defense spending. People think the defense spending is all propping up Iraq and Afghanistan, supporting overseas bases, when the reality, reality is a huge proportion, a third of it, is actually the exact things Bernie supporters are advocating for. This is the thing that I fundamentally have a hard time getting on board with Bernie about. The biggest two spenders of the U.S. dollars are entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare. Again, Social Security is not an entitlement. It's actually something that people are paying into. It's just to make sure that they don't retire with no savings. That's, it's their own money going in, and it's their own money coming out. And Medicare, I kind of regret the fact that it's even called an entitlement. Um, it's just a necessity, Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to get sick. You are going to get sick. And yeah, I guess you, in my opinion, yes, you are entitled to have treatment because you're a human being in the United States and you're going to need it. But okay. And a third of the, uh, and a third of the third biggest thing, defense spending is entitlements. So whenever I hear Bernie supporters advocate going after the military budget, I'm always left sitting there thinking, okay, so you're going to cut entitlements in order to pay for more entitlements on a bigger scale. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's as simple as switching it out of that part of the budget. But I do 100% understand the argument. Sorry if this came off as super dickish, but I can't stand this argument from Bernie supporters. Defense spending is overwhelmingly not weapons, foreign wars, bases; it's people expenses, not dickish. I told him in the email. It's not. You mm-hmm. laid out your argument very clearly. I great. You did. You did it exactly right. And yeah, maybe. You know what? Maybe it's an interesting point. Maybe the thing we take out of it is the rhetoric should be targeted on. Military, like like I'm saying, blowing shit up type stuff. I don't want to cut the pay of military men, m- men and women. I don't want to cut their health benefits, and when mm-hmm. they come back, absolutely not. Of course, there's different ways I think we could go about it as a country, and you could take it out of the defense budget completely. But yeah, I, I I think we I think we could serve ourselves very well by cutting into the amount of money that's spent on buying weapons, maintaining weapons. We could just reduce the amount of that stuff that we have. And still maintain a pretty healthy level for, you know, the troops and people that work for the military. As much as I probably sound like an asshole here, you don't. I do want to say, keep up the good work. I enjoy the podcast. Like the differing point of view. Sorry for the long, kind of dickish email, but just wanted to chime in. Colin, Colin, not at all. We appreciate the email. Uh, he just moved to Arizona. Good luck mm-hmm. with everything going on there and we really appreciate it and feel free to be in touch anytime. Joey, would you like to wrap up that little email and we'll get to the next one?
0: Well, also the other th- thing that is ki- kind of jabs me in the ass about all this, <laughs> it's the government, and uh, excuse me, government accountability office, mm-hmm. which is supposed to go and oversee, th- see all the spending and in- all that. But from... Apparently from 2010 and on, the financial statements of the U.S. government, because of widespread material internal control, weakness, significant uncertainties, and other limitations, haven't been able to follow, the like, give back what they actually spent on each individual thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a big problem. Well, that, I mean, when we talk about waste, fraud, and abuse, that's what we're talking about, where it's like, it's very easy to manipulate the system because, you know, nobody's really paying attention. This was... A huge problem. And this is what I'm talking about when I say and I, I told Colin in the email. I it's not am not anti-military in any way. I I think I think it's very pro-military and pro the troops and soldiers and people that are sacrificing a lot for all of us. It's 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 in their interest to be against unnecessary wars and wasteful spending and and just having a blank check essentially for the military to go gallivanting into whatever, you know event they want to get involved in to your point things like iraq we we spent billions of dollars on contractors Halliburton, all all these like you know inside deals just wasting billions and billions of dollars on building water filtration plants that don't work and you know just i mean that's just to name one thing there's there's so many different examples and we're going to get into the state of iraq particularly in baghdad later in the program and i think it it ties in but you're absolutely right joe i mean the very fact that they're not keeping track of it speaks volumes yeah you know and that and that i think gets confused also when i talk about corporations with the problem and money and politics make no mistake it's not like government's fucking perfect but we supposedly have a stake in that and we have a say over what goes on we as the you know people that that are being represented can elect politicians who will do something about the waste, fraud, and abuse, the, the unaccountability, all that stuff. Um, all right. Let's move on to the next email because we don't want to take nine hours at the beginning of the program and all this stuff. But I, I think that was a worthwhile one, and I, and I think this one is as well. Chris and Joey, before I get into the reason I'm emailing you, I want to say that I love the podcast. You guys do a remarkable job of reporting, analyzing, and discussing the important information of our time. Well, oh, thank you. I like the sound of that. Uh, I wait with anticip- anticipation every week for the newest episode to drop, and I've been slowly listening to the old episodes from the very beginning. It's like listening to a time capsule with an opinion. That's awesome. That is cool. I really appreciate that. Um, if you guys are doing that, let us know. Uh, you know any of your, you know any of the old episodes that you guys uh, are enjoying. My personal favorite, which isn't really politics related, is uh, Scruffy. Oh, Okay, yeah, Snuffy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the episode's <laughs> called Snuffy, but it's about a childhood cartoon that uh, made me this way. Joey has really been bringing it lately, and Chris has been consistently awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, Joey likes it. Uh, now that I've properly feathered your collective nuts, yes, I enjoy your input on the J Train podcast as well as Ranton and Raven. Yeah, check out both of those shows Tuesday and Friday for J Train, Wednesday for Ranton and Raven. Uh, let's get down to business. In MSP 77, you guys touched on the new design for the $20 bill, which will feature Harriet Tubman on the face uh, and President Andrew Jackson on the back. Although I usually agree with you, I do not completely agree with your views on the change to the 20. I understand and usually agree with your stance on not holding historical figures to modern, moral, and political standards when the behavior of said figure was viewed as acceptable by the social norm of that time period in which they lived. However, the Tubman-Jackson bill change, for me at least, is the exception to that line of thinking. As U.S. currency is currently designed and circulated, each bill features one historical patriot and one significant landmark. No current featured personality or landmark has had to share the bill with another figure or landmark, presumably as a sign of respect. This brings me to the issue I have, and I'm sure many people have, with the new design plans for uh, for the currency, especially the 20. I firmly believe that none of the figures on the front of the bill should have to share that bill with another figure, no matter what the sex, race, or era the figure represents but the $20 bill redesign feels like an insult. After all of the years of not having a historical figure from the black community on the face of any currency in this country, the moment we finally get a black face on a bill, that black face has to share the spotlight with a figure that has already been afforded the honor of being on the bill by themselves. On top of having to split time with another figure, Harriet Tubman has to share the bill with a man that was extraordinarily racist, even for his time, namely towards blacks and Native Americans, which strikes another chord with me because my wife is Native and the reported number... Um, the reported runner-up to Tubman was Wilma Mankiller, yeah. Which, by the way, great name. And by the way, this is from Tamir. Tamir's—he's all over this. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very good. All right. Just looking uh, at the the Negro Fort massacre alone puts Jackson in a class of bigots that makes this design seem condescending. It feels like we, um, as the African-American community, are being thrown a bone with a backhanded reminder of our place by the government just so they can uh, say that they are valuing its black citizens and their heritage. Uh, Look, it's an interesting point. I obviously don't have the same experience as you. I'm not. To me, when they do it, it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I kind of agree. I mean, quick, I don't know how you feel about it, Joey, but it's like, yeah, I don't think they should put faces on both sides of the bill yeah it's like if it's, you're gonna honor yeah. somebody just do it and, and take jackson off why bother although i will say they are doing it i think with all the other redesigns so it's not just like a slap in the face to harry tubman but i do understand the point how do you feel yeah. about that Jack uh,
0: i i really wouldn't have not gone with harry tubman but the fact oh that they're God. trying to make a difference uh-huh. is great well, who would you have gone with uh I- I- okay
1: oh okay all right, yeah, I mean, okay, okay not going to argue with that. Uh, it reminds me of the separate but equal time period of U.S. history. The school j- districts made sure that black schools were provided textbooks, but they were the outdated used textbooks from their white counterparts. Sure, a black America gets a bill with a black figure on it, but you have to share the bill with the president that went out of his way to negatively impact both the black and Native American communities. I hear your point. I mean, I get that. I think... Here's the thing. I think the treasury department jack lou who's the treasury secretary put out a few pieces when this first came out and he was like we got a lot of feedback from the american public and this is what we thought we would do and blah, blah, like the amount of people that the idea of changing the face on a bill has to go through until it actually becomes a thing is probably staggering like it's it's insane and while i'm i'm definitely not the one that's usually going to be like Look, it's as good as they could do. But that is probably as good as they could do because they they're they're so scared to make a move that would offend anyone without realizing like this is probably going to be offensive to the very people that we're trying to like honor here mm-hmm. with this thing. Um I'm not excusing it, but th- the process is probably so insane for them to do this thing. Like it's, I don't even think it's happening till 2020. That that's why it's like it's no surprise. It's almost like the worst kind of like corporate Meat grinder of ideas that has to go through to actually get to the point where they're printing money. It's these are not the people that should even be making this type of decision, but they are unfortunately. You What's what to, well, to us? You have to keep in mind that
0: they have to get the the pressing plate and everything just oh, uh,
1: perfect. Absolutely. F- I mean, the physical. There's so right. much goes into it. Yeah, I mean, wait until you actually see the uh, the the prototype of it. That hasn't yeah. even come out yet. You know, like when Martin Luther King, like you just mentioned him, when his statue went up. A little cartoony the one that's on the washington mall and i've heard that a lot from from a, a number of different sources uh it's not you know it, it doesn't look like the white statues that they put up it's like kind of smooth down cartoony for lack of a better mm-hmm. word wait i'm sure we're gonna have problems with the way the harriet tubman drawing looks on the bill right i mean yeah, the, we're going have to wait and but that's what i'm that. saying and you know and that's also a problem of there's probably not a ton of black people involved in this you know, that, that's, that's an argument that gets made about Hollywood. And it's made in a lot of different places. Yeah, if there's no black people around, or there's no Native American people around, or Latino people, or whatever it is. You can't get is, their opinion. Well, yeah, they're just not there. So the only people you're bouncing the idea off of is white people. Being I mean, like, oh, that's what Harry Tubman looked like. But it's like, yeah, why don't we ask a black woman about it? Maybe She might have a little more idea of what's going on. As I'm saying this, you know, it's interesting. It's mm-hmm. like, nobody would argue with that. I think people are like, yeah, that's probably correct. But when you say, you know, I bet some black people voted for Obama because he's black, be like, what? That's so fucked up, really? Like, come on. It, you're sharing the same experience, of course. It just makes sense. That's why you would ask a black person about this, a black woman specifically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, all right. Tamir continues and closes the email, I would have the same line of thinking if Wilma Mankiller was selected instead of Harry Tubman. In fact, I think the public outcry would be worse from the native community, especially from the tribes in the western region of the U.S., who already refuse to accept or use the $20 bill because Andrew Jackson is featured on that bill. I had no idea that was a thing, but fuck, that's badass. That must be a pain in the ass, though. Absolutely. Uh, running all those casinos and everything? It's like, they, we can't accept, tw- no, we don't accept 20s here. Uh, is that racist, Evan, with thoughts? Uh, no, you're good. Okay, Tamir, you let me know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to insult insult you or your wife. Uh, You get It's just a joke, but that's crazy and kind of impressive that they don't use $20 (laughs) bills. That's cool. But yeah, it seems like they probably would have some kind of um, uh, uprising against that. Uh, I hope this wasn't too long of an email, and if the email was too long, I hope it won't kill my chance of getting a sticker or two. P.S. Go Caps from Tamir. You're going to get a sticker. I'm going to send it out to you. And uh, my apologies for the way the Capitals are looking right now. They're down three games to one to the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's not over. The Rangers have my team. The Rangers who are not in the playoffs anymore. They defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins being down three games to one in a thrilling series. They've come back three games to one against the Capitals twice, I think, in the last few years. So it can be done. But let me tell you something. Ovi needs to lead the charge. That's it. He's getting shots. He's not scoring a lot of goals. He's got to drive his way to the net, maybe take a little goalie interference penalty. He's got to get Malkin off his game. They got to get physical, and Ovechkin's got to lead the way. Good luck to your Cavs. I think the Capitals, I had them picked to win the Stanley Cup, although the Sharks are looking very good out in the West, the Blues. We'll see what ends up happening. Is he still crying over every play? Who? Ovechkin. No, Ovechkin's not a whiner at all. No, no, I wouldn't peg Ovechkin as a whiner whatsoever. No, I actually really like uh, Ovechkin as a player. All right. Off the subject, thank you, Tamir, for your email. We really appreciate it, buddy, and I hope uh, you appreciated the conversation we had about it. One final email, one sentence from Connor. He says, what's up, guys? I just found out that if you Google search politician names, so like Ted Cruz, issue stances, Google returns a list with topics and then interactive quotes and excerpts from interviews and speeches. Hmm. Thought this was neat and worth the share. Feel the bird. Connor, very cool. That's actually really good to know. I checked it out last night. It's interesting.
0: You you want to do something live?
1: What? Oh, you want to like Google somebody? Yeah, no,
0: no. I I, I just want you to put it in the web browser because I, I heard this on the radio myself and I was
1: shocked. Go to TedCruise.com. Go go to it. No, when you go to it. Okay. Hold on a minute. Jesus, Joey. All right. Hold on. But you understand this is not what Connor's talking about. Yes, this is I like know. a totally different thing. Ted Cruz dot. Yeah, but it, oh, I see. It's <laughs> next president of the United States of America, and it's a Hillary picture. Yeah, yeah, but Ted Cruz, but that's not his official website. Right? No, no, no. Ted no. twenty sixteen or whatever. Who gives a shit? He's out. Yes. You ready to get into this? It's a good segue. You ready to get into this Indiana primary results? That's why I set them up. Oh, you're, you're really good, Joe. You're doing a great job. Donald Trump, as we mentioned on last week's episode, clinched. What do I have here? Oh. Donald Trump, as we mentioned on last week's episode, clinched the GOP winning Indiana uh, clinched the GOP nomination by winning Indiana and by forcing his rivals Ted Cruz and John Kasich out of the race. On the flip side, Bernie Sanders won, despite the almost inevitable outcome of Hillary Clinton as nominee. I got a Snapchat from Steffer Gales. She says, proud of my state, Indiana. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the implication of Cruz dropping out. Awesome podcast last week. Hashtag feel the burn. Love a loyal listener. Oh. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, proud of Indiana for uh, keeping things going, f- you know, for, for what they can do. Joey?
0: Um, I really found it interesting how Ted Cruz put everything in, everything in Indiana.
1: Well, it was literally like the, everything. Because if he won, he denies – Trump the nomination. If he loses, Trump has it, so that's why he's out. And that's why Kasich's out. Would you like to hear the results, the final results on the GOP side? We don't even have to cover them anymore. Trump, 53.3%, 57 delegates in Indiana. Cruz, 36.7%, no delegates. Kasich, 7.5% of the vote, zero delegates. delegates. On the other side, Bernie Sanders, 52.7% of the vote, 44 delegates. Hillary Clinton, 47.3%. 38 delegates now joey Mm -hmm. i know the question that you're already getting ready to ask me how can bernie how can bernie win this thing how can you do it? Nate Silver put up Bernie's path to nomination. What and how much he'd need to win in the remaining states. Would you like to hear? Because I know you. You're a, you're a diehard.
0: Well, listen, this
1: is what's going to happen. It doesn't matter okay. until you get to California. So let's just hear
0: what he has to do in California. No, you're wrong. But let's okay. let's run
1: through it. There's only a few more. We'll just run through it. So we're all on the same page. Samsonites and nobodies alike. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have to do this every week. Bernie won. It's good. It's nice. But you tell me if this sounds likely. Yes. okay? And I'd love it. I, ho- I hope it happens, but I don't think it's going to happen. May 7th, in Guam, Bernie Sanders needs to take five of the seven delegates and win by 43 points. Okay? 43 points. May 10th in West Virginia, he needs to win by 52 points. In Kentucky... On May 17th, he needs to win by 35 points. I think that's going to be a problem. Uh, Oregon, he needs to win by 57 points. In the Virgin Islands on June 4th, he needs to win by 43. In Puerto Rico, he's got to win by 17 points. California, he's got to win by 31 points. He's down by 13 points now. He has to win by 31. He's down by 13. So That's That's a a lot of math. Yeah, it's a 40- Point swing that needs to take place he's got to take 312 of 475 delegates possible maybe but extremely unlikely say he did it he'd have to go to montana and win by 62 points he'd have to win my home state the garden state of new jersey by 13 points probably not going to happen new mexico 18 points. South Dakota, 40 points. North Dakota, 67 points. And he could have a tie in the District of Columbia. And that's how Bernie Sanders would win. Do what I love it? Yes. Do I think it's going to happen? No. And we don't have to keep having the conversation because, again, we talked a big game with Bernie. Yeah, we yeah, obviously yeah. support him. And people are like, you're giving up on Bernie. I'm not giving up on him. But those that's, that's the reality. Do you know what causes a 40-point switch turnaround? What, Joey? Handcuffs. Yeah, that's, I know that's, that's what turns around a forty-point spread. Listen, you're not in a good position if you're waiting for the presumptive nominee to get jailed. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not where you want to be. And if you don't think that that's going to hurt the Democrats, regardless of who it is, whether it's Bernie or what, you're crazy. You're crazy if you think that that wouldn't hurt Bernie's chances of winning in a general election. Then that's insane. So we'll see what happens. Hillary's not going to jail. Damn sure it. as shit, she's not and bernie you know he's got a j- tremendous mountain to climb maybe he could do it maybe he could latch onto the wings of that bird and fly up that mountain but i just don't i just don't imagine it happening has anyone seen that bird i don't know i mean you know he's probably he probably went back to where he came from heaven that's great yeah uh, on high <laughs> with uh, jesus sitting at the right hand of the father all right you want to get into the next thing here, Joey? Yes. This is the TTIP. It's the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. This is something that the United States and the European Union have been working on for quite a while. What I have about it is not necessarily that it's in the works, but why it is failing right now and for different reasons. And it's going to make you embarrassed of of the the country that we live in. Trade talks between the U.S. and Europe have hit a number of, quote, irreconcilable differences, according to leaked documents obtained by Greenpeace after the 13th round of talks. I just want to thank people for getting these documents out there. Absolutely. Are they traitors or are they doing everybody a favor by letting us know what is actually going on behind the scenes, you know, in the country that we supposedly run because it's a democracy?
0: Walk me up to to a favor, please. Excuse me? You know.
1: It's good, okay. I agree. I think it is good. Particular areas of concern include u s. involvement in environmental and food standards. And I have some quotes, but let me just read this. the u s. is proposing new quote, science and risk articles. They would al- that would allow companies like Nestle and Coke who are involved in in the writing of these deals. It would allow their employees to lead or sit on national delegations, which is obviously a conflict of interest, right? I would suppose To yeah. have Coke, Coca-Cola, Nestle, these big food companies, they're gonna they're gonna head the delegations that make the rules for themselves. Yes. Yeah, that okay. Yes. Yeah, that sounds sane. The US was also pushing for a quote, low-level presence initiative as it relates to GMOs. Europe has much stricter and more stringent rules about genetically modified foods and things like that. The US wanted to have like a low-level presence initiative, being like, look, if they're just a little modified. What, what are we doing? We're going we're gonna to freak out about it. And Europe's like, yeah, we don't want them at all. So these are some of the roadblocks they're running to. I have a quote, but mm-hmm. God. I would like to just see,
0: the, see more testing on the GMOs before I would say no to them. Just because it is advancement.
1: The reason why we're doing a lot of that stuff is because we've destroyed the soil so badly in this country and around the world. Companies like Monsanto with their killer seeds and all this shit that we can't grow food in a normal way so we have to keep modifying it and modifying it away from what it actually is until you're eating a tomato that isn't a tomato anymore that's an issue if we're just doing it like the the stuff that is whatever i don't want to get into Mm -hmm. gmos but maybe we'll talk maybe prepare something for next week and we'll talk about it yorgo riss who's the greenpeace european union director this is his quote about this and then we can move on These leaked documents give us an unparalleled look at the scope of U.S. demands to lower or circumvent EU protections for environment and public health as part of TTIP. The EU position is very bad, and the U.S. position is terrible. The prospect of a TTIP compromising within that range is an awful one. The way is being cleared for a race to the bottom in environmental, consumer protection, and public health standards. Before the EU could even pass a regulation, it would have to go through a grueling impact assessment process in which the bloc would have to show interested U.S. parties that no voluntary measures or less exacting regulatory ones were possible. So essentially, this is what I was thinking about when I was reading this last night. This is like the United States. Say we're the parent of the United States. Okay. Okay. And the United States is friends with Europe. And they're playing, and then we get a call from the teacher, or our kid comes home from school. This is actually the better analogy. The United States, our son comes home, and he's like, the European Union kicked me in the shin. And we're like, what? What happened? And we go to the school, and we're like, the fucking European Union kicked our kid in the shin. They're, they're not signing this agreement. And the teacher's like, well, actually, your kid, the United States, fucking punched the European Union in the face and then kicked it in the dick. And that's, he's really the Like your kid's the one that's causing the problem. That's what this is like. The United States is like the bully of the world. And we're like, look, just fucking modify your food. What are we doing? Let's lower the standards. Let's stop dicking around here. And the European Union's like, come on, man. You don't make enough money. We can't just do this the right way. I gotta eat that. Yeah, and apparently the United States is not willing to let that happen. And that's very telling. That's telling when we talk about the TTP. Uh, You know, and, and all this stuff that Bernie and Hillary have been arguing about at the debates. It is a race to the bottom. We're competing for the lowest amount, you know, for the lowest... Um, common
0: denominator?
1: The, yeah, the lowest common denominator, the lowest levels of, of security and protection for consumers.
0: See, for me, I kind of see there's an issue when we have to meet 12 to
1: 13 times about well, policy. I don't have a problem. Look, if they're hammering out a deal. It is what it is. But the reason why it keeps happening is because they're the U.S. is trying to make the European Union compromise even further on things that they don't want to compromise on. And it's literally just about safety and product. Uh, I can't, I can't think of the word for whatever reason, but it's like making the products good and not, not a problem for consumers. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Of course. I mean, of course it goes through. Th- you don't think the Harriet Tubman fucking $20 bill thing is going to go through 13 rounds of talks. That was my point about that too. It's like, yeah. by the time it gets through, it's like, just be happy with what you got there. Cause it, it looks like garbage, but at least they tried, you know? That's that's how the world... That's how, that's the how is, of the world. It? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> at least they fucking tried. I, I don't know. It's garbage, but we got it. Yay. That's that's how everything gets passed in this country, too. All right. I want to move on to this study, which I find very interesting. I'm going to have to have a sip of my vanilla pear Polish seltzer. We've been talking a lot. I don't have uh-huh. any clips, really, this week. This is a heavy episode. We, we, yes. we still have a couple of, like... Good topics to get into that I think people can have comments on and are are very interesting. You're not really hearing them covered anywhere, and you are getting them from this podcast. Let me have a sip of water, Joey. Uh Why don't you talk to Evan, maybe? I don't know.
0: Why do you have to always put this pressure on me? You really?
1: I've been talking for
0: 42 minutes. That's a long time. Yes, Evan?
1: No, I was saying you really shut down Chris with that alternative to the Harriet Tubman with the MLK. Yeah, I thought I I would. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming. It was a really good response. I I was waiting for him to be like, China. We need to put China on there. (laughs) No, no, it would have been Prince. You know what? Can I say this? You didn't comment uh, back to the SoundCloud comments. Uh Um, I forget who it was, but they were like, good for you, Joey. Like, China didn't get enough shine. Like, RIP China and Prince. But you didn't look at the comments, so you don't know what, you know, you didn't get that.
0: Oh, that hurts, bro.
1: Yeah, it should. Now I just paid him back for the MLK thing. You see how we do it? And around and around we go. Mass surveillance study, a new Oxford study by John Penny explores the chilling effect mass surveillance has on online actions. Okay. Now, I love this. I don't love the fact that this is a thing, but I love this article. I love the study. It was written by Glenn Greenwald on The Intercept. I have some quotes, but we're going to get into the study a little bit. The study reveals that after the 2013 Snowden leaks and revelations about mass domestic surveillance, 87% 87% of Americans were aware of this, whether they okay. knew that, uh, how d- in detail, but they knew that that was a thing that was happening. There was a, tw- listen, this is crazy. There was a 20% decline in page views on Wikipedia articles related to terrorism. Things like Al Qaeda, car bomb, Taliban, et cetera. After the Snowden leaks came out in 2013, mm-hmm. and we understood to an extent the the amount of surveillance domestically that was going on. People stopped doing research about terrorism. Why, Joey? Because
0: they would be afraid that they would be complicated to by the government.
1: Absolutely In- implicated. Right. Implicated. Absolutely. That's a chilling effect, and that's. I also got a comment um, on the SoundCloud. This is kind of what I was talking about when we started the show. About uh, you know we were talking about the liberal side of things and how they have their word policing really and, and trying to stop conversations about things if they don't like the way it sounds mm-hmm. which is very very similar to what people are doing on the right they're just coming at it from opposite ends of the spectrum but they kind of end up meeting at fascism that's where it all ends up it's the same thing if if Kurt Schilling who we're going to get into at the end again
0: mm-hmm.
1: can't say what whatever his dumb attitude is about transgender bathrooms and whatever other people like and he, you see that he gets fired from his job and there's this big outlash um, backlash people are that creates a chilling effect and even though you don't agree with people they have the right to say those things that's what i'm talking about and this has the same kind of effect this is a quote from john penny if people are spooked or deterred from learning about important policy matters like terrorism and national security this is a real threat to proper democratic debate and i wrote self censorship for fear of arousing suspicion is deadly to a democracy that's what i'm talking about and that that was my point essentially with the political correctness argument and all that stuff. Obviously, you don't want people's feelings being hurt, but you also don't want to stop people from saying their dumb opinion no matter how you feel about it, because if they don't say it, you probably are losing the right to say it, and you're just ending conversation that needs to be had. Yes, This is the crux of a democracy. If the people in the country can't learn and get information to help them make good decisions and expand their horizons and get different experiences, we're dead because now you're just ceding power to people who have the information. They're God knows having the conversations that the regular citizens of the country are not having. And that is very, very troubling. It keeps everything on the level though. Well, it keeps everything in check for the powers that be. Now, Two more quotes, and then we can move on from this. But this is a very interesting thing. And again, John Penny, P E N N E Y. It's an Oxford study. You can find this on The Intercept as well. Check it out if you're interested in it. These are two final quotes. Let's end with this. Glenn Greenwald in the article says There is a reason governments, corporations, and multiple other entities of authority crave surveillance. It's precisely because the possibility of being monitored radically uh, changes individual and collective behavior. Specifically, the possibility breeds fear and foster, fosters collective conformity, which, ding, 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 that's exact. That's what I'm talking about. It's not even necessarily that liberals or whoever are like, you can't say that about transgender. I, I can say it. It might not be what you want to hear, but collective conformity is a danger as well. If we all are on the all thinking the same way, there's no... Creative, you're, you're just killing creativity and the, the ability to express yourself and have different industries and innovation and all this stuff. Not necessarily saying Kurt Schilling talking about transgender bathrooms, is that exactly? But the idea of shutting down speech in general creates a collective conformity, which mm-hmm. is a problem. That's always been intuitively clear. Now there is mounting empirical evidence proving it. That was uh, Greenwald's quote George Orwell in 1984, we're going to wrap up with this, Mm -hmm. Orwellian always gets brought up. It's sort of a cliche at this point, but put it in context of what we're talking about here, a chilling effect of mass surveillance. There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment, how often or on what system. The thought police plugged in on in, uh, on any individual wire was guesswork. It was even conceivable that they watched everybody all the time. But at any rate, they could plug in your wire whenever they wanted to. You have to live, did live from the habit that became instinct in the assumption that every sound you made was overheard and except in darkness, every movement scrutinized. That's exactly what we're talking about. They're building a huge facility in Bluffdale, Utah, where they plan on collecting all the data ever in the United States. They just want to collect it. And it doesn't mean that they're looking at it all the time, but when they want to plug in your wire and check out what you're doing, they can do it. And that creates, it's an it's, It's. It's thrown out there as the the element of safety. We're protecting you from terrorism. But it is, in fact, creating a chilling effect and limiting the amount of things that people are willing to research, talk about, discuss, and potentially change. The less information we have, the less view we have of the past, uh, the the less view we have of the future. And that means that we are firmly in control of people that we didn't elect and we don't necessarily trust and we don't even know – and it's becoming too late. And when we take people like Snowden and the things they say and whoever leaked the Panama papers and all this stuff, when we look at that as a negative and not a positive, then we're working right into the hands of the system that is, in fact, oppressing us, right?
0: Yeah. It's just designed so you can never leave your house.
1: It's not designed. Here's the thing. It's not designed, but it works. They're not necessarily doing all- I think to an extent, this shit is done. We, we got to stop. T- There's a fr- 9-11. Let's, let's do it. Okay. 9-11 happens. Yes. 85, 90% of people in the country love Bush. We support the war in Iraq. Wrong, bad decision. But we support airport security. We support all this stuff. Out of tragedy, we go, we got to do something about this. We can never let this happen again. Yes, we go extremely to the right. Right. That's where it's born from. It's born from fear. We operate out of fear, which is what, what I'm talking about with laws, which we've been talking about for the last three. That's why we have laws, because they're done out of emotion. They take emotion out of the equation. This is what we got to do no matter what happens because this is what we've agreed on in a logical, rational, calm point of view. We use fear as a motivator, 9-11, terrorism, we're scared. So we cede a lot of power to a government and they're like, we got to do something to stay in office. We got to prove to these people that we can do the right thing and we got to stay in office and blah, blah, blah. So it starts legit. And then as time goes along, there's unintended consequences, which is always something that needs to be looked at. And it just wasn't. And now we're at a place where we've given power to people and they're going to keep taking it. And the unintended consequence is that it's going to keep us as a democracy from actually looking at things that we need to be investigating and having real conversations about. That's the, that's the scary thing, but I don't necessarily think it is, it doesn't start intentionally to do that, but now that's where it is. And you're goddamn right. There's going to be people that are going to use that to their advantage. Of course. Because it's about power. It's not necessarily how you get the power, but once you have it, it's what you're going to do with it. And they see that they can create a chilling effect here.
0: And there's nothing to do to stop it.
1: Well, the thing to do to stop it is talk about it. When information is available, spread that information and actually have an informed electorate. Again, it all goes back to the main thing of if we get money out of politics, we can regain control of our government. And if the people in this country had control of their government, we could redirect sort resources to, education and you know healthcare and all these basic levels of things so we can actually focus on the things that matter and and actually govern ourselves but apparently we're not really interested in doing that and only time will tell and we'll see but i don't think it's impossible to overturn it but the longer we go same thing with climate change it is going to be impossible to overturn it because even if you have people paying attention the power that is in place is too strong to do anything about further you go down the rabbit hole you can't get out that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, unless you go all the way through the earth into China and then you just become a Chinese rabbit. Um, all right, you ready to move on? That didn't yes. make sense. You ready to move on to uh, Syria and Baghdad? I'm trying to think where we should take. All right, let's do Syria and Baghdad, and then if we have a promo or something, that will play. Okay. And then we'll uh, we'll we'll keep going with um, the CIA torture lawsuits and the 2016 update in shilling. But that's very quick. It's really just the Caitlyn Jenner clip at the end there. All right. Syria and Baghdad. Now, the reason why I want to bring this stuff up is because unless you're really paying attention to it, it's not, I don't think, being covered to an extent that is worthwhile. And it's also, like I'm talking about, if you don't really pay attention to the past and what is currently happening, you can't know what's going to happen in the future. Baghdad is a mess, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Aleppo, meanwhile, a city housing opposition leaders in Syria and a stronghold against Bashar al-Assad's regime has been shelled in the last eight days since the regime broke a ceasefire agreement. By, uh, it's been shelled by more than 260 airstrikes, 110 artillery strikes, 18 missiles and 68 bombs. All right? Do you know how to take it to a place? Well, a- absolutely. I mean to put right. Think, think about where you live, like anybody that's listening to this. think about your hometown. Think about it getting hit with 260 airstrikes. 18 missiles, missiles. 68 bucks. Think about where those things would land randomly. How many of your neighbors would get killed? Think about that. And that's been going on now for years. There's hundreds of thousands of people dead, but the last eight days ended a ceasefire. And that's what's been going on in Aleppo regime, ISIS rebels, Kurds all control certain percentages of land in Syria. So it's a real messy situation there. 250,000 people killed millions displaced so far right mm-hmm. there's an impulse there's an obvious impulse to help when you hear about things like this and i no doubt when hillary clinton becomes president there's going to be conversation about we got to go to syria that is going to start it's already been part of the thing should we set up a um, a no-fly zone and all this stuff mm-hmm. the impulse is right that we should be doing something to help militarily though that's where that's where we go awry. And that's why that's gonna like really transition to the conversation we're gonna have about Baghdad in a second. Well, you're, I believe
0: it comes to the point where if you go in, it's gonna be like Iraq and Afghanistan, where you're gonna have to be there for quite some time.
1: You're absolutely right. And the, quite some time could translate to forever, which is why I'm gonna get into the Baghdad stuff in a second. Let's wrap up the serious stuff with a quote. This is from Haji Hassan, who's the Aleppo City Council president. He says We have had massacres on a daily basis for six or seven days. They are destroying schools and civilian targets using barrel bombs, airstrikes, and machine guns. Another colleague of mine was killed yesterday while I spoke to him on Skype. It is a terrible situation, but we are trying to live. In 2013, there were two million people in and around the city. There are 400,000 right now. Now, where did those other millions of people go, Joey? That's the problem. That's a Syrian refugee crisis. That, yes. You know, like when we just hear these catchphrases, you're like, "Oh, fucking Syrians are coming." Like, yeah, they're coming over here because their own government is destroying them. Yeah, that's why we think that these are the people that are that are terrorists. No, they're getting the fuck out of there. If they were terrorists or a problem, they'd stay. Right? I'm sure, or, you know, whatever. I'm sure there's a percentage of people that just can't leave. There's nothing they can do. Because that's where their whole livelihood is from. But it's like, really? We think that these are the people that we should be fearful of? No, they're the ones that need help. And the only way we can probably help them is by giving them some kind of refuge.
0: And, of course, they just found the basic instinct of survival. Get the fuck out.
1: Absolutely. You think they want their kids to be... This guy was talking to his friend on Skype and he got killed with a a strike. You know, like, okay, there are 400,000 right now. Some people just fled, but these 400,000 won't leave, even though they know that at any time they can be bombed or killed. It is a semi-siege right now. The only road connecting Aleppo is always targeted by airstrikes, the Costello Road. This road is targeted by airstrikes and snipers, too. It is a dangerous road, but we have to use it. There is no other. If that goes, we will be besieged. It will be a disaster. Understatement, it is a disaster mm-hmm. already. I get, we'll keep our eye on it. What can the United States do? I think help refugees. I think potentially provide military intelligence. Going in there on the ground, It's not. I don't see it as an option. What are you going to do? We're going to go regime change again? That's the goal, then, if you're going in. What are you going to do? Otherwise, you're arming the Kurds. You're arming rebels you don't know anything about. They are ISIS is there. Like, it's just such a day. I I don't know. I feel like we don't learn our lesson, and I'm going to get into... Maybe we should learn our lesson, because Baghdad is a disaster right now, too. I would say two things. Okay.
0: One, you absolutely enforce the no airspace.
1: Why? For what purpose? Let Russia do whatever they're doing. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Russia... We need a conclusion to this thing. Okay. We can't keep having people murdered and shot and and kicked out of their own country. Bashar al-Assad, the only way to end this really is to either let him win or get him out of power. Both create problems, but Russia's already involved. We don't have to spend any military money and Russia's going to try to prop up uh, Assad and at the same time, if they get a chance to whack ISIS, they will that's probably our best option is let Russia do it. Does that mean it's going to be good for people like Haji Hassan? No. And I'd love to help him, but we can't be sending military in because we're only going to create a bigger problem. So sometimes the best thing to do is let it play out, but put pressure on Russia and put actors in that region to, to get involved and try to just end the, end the violence. But They're in a civil war. The country's broken apart into a number of different pieces. And that maybe is just what has to happen. We can do what we can for people that are able to get out and maybe make that easier and provide some kind of humanitarian aid. But as far as military is concerned, I think that is a tragic ending waiting to happen. Meanwhile, in Iraq... Baghdad is in a state of emergency after supporters of Muqtada al-Sadr stormed the parliament building on Saturday. Do you know anything about this, Joey? Very little. Uh, okay. The protesters were angered by the Iraqi government's inability or unwillingness to convene a vote for new ministers. Meanwhile... President Obama's plan for fighting ISIS is all predicated on a strong relationship with Iraq's government and Haider al-Abadi, who is the prime minister of Iraq. The last 18 months, ISIS has lost more than 40% of its territory in Iraq and 300 to $800 million in blown up cash, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. We just find out where they're storing their cash because they can't put it and in blow banks. It up. And we blow it up. So that's a great strategy. I think that's great. Here's the problem, though. Doug Olivant, who's a former military planner in Baghdad, senior fellow at the New America Foundation, he says, there's a realization that the government, as it's currently structured, can't hold. It's just not clear how the Iraqis get out of this. I just don't see how they will. The message to the Iraqis has been to focus on the short-term problem that this president would like solved by January, which is defeating ISIS militarily. The focus is on the symptom and not the root cause of the problem. And the root root cause of the problem is the government is corrupt and ineffective. Democracy, Joey. The thing that Bush wanted to export, it turns out, is the thing we really aren't good at. Hmm. Here's a quote from Emma Sky, who was a senior U.S. military advisor prior to us withdrawing in 2011. She said, non-state actors are stronger than the state. The government is paralyzed and corrupt.
0: That doesn't solve anything.
1: No, and the military is not going to solve that. The problem is not that we don't have enough troops to go in and blow shit up. We can do that all day. We can do it better than anybody. We spend the most on our military. The real test is, can we have a fucking democracy in there? And once the democracy is in there, can we get elected somebody that we actually will be able to work with? Because Muqtada al-Sadr is a guy that leads Shia Muslims, and they want to take over. They don't want a secular democracy and the only reason he hasn't run is because his religion uh, forbids him from doing that they're not supposed to get involved in politics but we keep propping it eventually after we kick out these dictators it seems like we always get some like more religious extreme guy in place and we we can't work with them that that ends up being a bigger problem see the what do you do not get involved, maybe, is what you do. You you play around the perimeter, you just monitor the situation and try to help innocent people. But other than that, sometimes you just gotta let these things fucking play out. They're busy fighting each other, they're not over here trying to bomb the United States or plan attacks or whatever. ISIS, you think ISIS would be in a better situation or a worse situation if it just escalated to like all out war again in Iraq.
0: Yeah, but you just can't do that, though. Why?
1: What? Who can't? What are we supposed to do? That's my point. You can't just do what? Let war happen like yeah. it's been happening for the entirety of human existence. I mean, the wars that exist in Iraq and Syria and everything, it's because the United States has been involved in the Middle East. Not entirely, but you can't say that Iraq, if Saddam Hussein was in power, do you know why they call him Muqtada al-Sadr? Because he's from Sadr City, which used to be called Saddam City. You know why it was called Saddam City? Because when he was in charge, he didn't let any of these people get power. He, mm-hmm. he put it down. I'm not defending Saddam Hussein, but a strong man like Saddam or like a, a Bashar al-Assad... Prevented other issues from happening. Right. It's not good, but it's better than what is worse, which is just all-out civil war, whatever, massacres, and it's a huge problem. Well,
0: also, the other thing is you, you can't force democracy either.
1: Well, absolutely you can. and lear- We should have learned that lesson, obviously, from Iraq. But even if you do... The problem is people might elect somebody you don't want them to elect, but that's what democracy. So we don't really want democracy everywhere else in the world. We don't. We want a tough man that we can control and we can work with. Let me, let me reread this quote real quick and then we're going to move on. Emma Skye said, non-state actors are stronger than the state. The government is paralyzed and corrupt. Does that sound familiar to anything? Does that sound like sort of the way that our government works with corporate interests and non-state actors having too much influence over the state actors, therefore paralyzing the government? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people are like, Congress never does anything. Yeah. Because the people, the non-state actors, the big corporations and the money and interest that pay them to stay in power, uh, they pay them to not do anything other than what's good for the corporations, they're not acting for us anymore. Well, let's not say pay them. Let's say help
0: them run a new campaign
1: for yeah, reelection. Well, yeah, bribe them then. Okay, okay. Better, better word. Um, all right. Any final thoughts on that? I mean, I don't want to say that like we should just default to we can't do anything, but I think military action and trying to do regime change, I think that's that the lesson's got to be learned. Like that, That can't happen anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, see, it's just tough for us as human beings to see other human beings being in that type of situation where they can't defend themselves and everything's falling to shit. Of course.
1: I mean, it's a natural, right, but that's a natural thing, but we're not, yeah, it's, it's a natural thing, but but again, going over there with bombs and, and drones, and me- it's like, Man, we're not in a position to be able to help in that way because it's not helpful. If we really want to help, we need to figure out, diagnose the problem. The problem is the governments aren't working. How can we make the governments actually work for the people in a way that can be mutually beneficial to all of us? And if there isn't a way for that to be the case, then we've got to let them sort it out and try to help along the margins where we can. And then you're always going to have someone who
0: abuses the system
1: well of course I mean and that's the other laugh riot about the thing we don't have a perfect democracy but we're gonna pretend like we do and we're gonna export that all over the world let the rest of the world figure out their own way of doing things because you know I don't think we have a perfect system in place either
0: and as the world turns
1: as the world turns hello podcast listener. This is Jared Freed from the J Train Podcast. Every Tuesday and Friday we take emails from college students and postgrads about everything from relationships to nonsense. No question is too small. We answer it in a funny and frank and honest way. Find new and archived episodes of the J Train Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Check us out! Joey, you want to get into the CIA torture lawsuits thing I've been talking about? It's about time. Time. Yeah, I know you've been waiting for it. This is a this is a ser- I mean this is a serious story, and I think it's an important one. And some of the stuff we're going to read is hopefully disturbing to people that are listening. But I think it's important again to get this stuff out there. Not only
0: that, but this is going to set precedence.
1: Hopefully, yeah. Two Fridays ago, for the first time ever, civil suits against the architects of the CIA's torture program, psychologist James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen, will be allowed to proceed. Now, this is a very big deal um, because there's other suits that have been brought that have not been allowed to go on, and these will. And this means that the three plaintiffs, Suleiman Abdullah Saleem, Mohammed Ahmed Ben Saud, and the estate of... Ghoul Rahman were each kidnapped and subjected to extreme physical pain and psychological torture and experimentation without ever being charged with a crime, which again, United Sadists of America, I think it's MSP 09, but I don't exactly remember. That's where we talked about the torture report. Initially, we got into a lot of the stuff in the abstract of like things that happen to prisoners, but these are three actual people that are now suing them. And a judge was like, yeah, this is valid. You should be allowed to do that and have your, days in court. I have a few paragraphs about things that happened to each of these plaintiffs while they were in CIA United States custody, Mm -hmm. not charged with the crime, mind you still not charged with the crime. They're all released now. Although one of them is dead. Um, This is what happened to them. And you tell me when you hear people put it in this context, when you hear people like Trump um, or a lot of people say, waterboarding we should do a lot worse than that we need to change our laws okay this is literally what they're talking about then because if they're not what are they talking about worse than waterboarding Suleiman Abdullah Salim, during his imprisonment Salim was subjected to beatings forced nudity blaring music sleep food and light deprivation confinement in small boxes and water dousing a method similar to waterboarding he was also forced to stand or uh, sit or stand in painful stress positions after he was abducted from Somalia, CIA personnel cut off his clothes, forced an object into his anus, and photographed, it, photographed him. Which uh, the ACLU alleges in its complaint. Now we talked about that a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, where they wanted the photos released. They got some released, but they—they're like these are—it was not. nothing, right? So there's—they've sued again now to try to get that stuff released. But okay. Then they put him in a diaper and clothed him, covering his head with a hood, goggles, and headphones. From there, they boarded him onto a small aircraft where he was shackled to the ground. Salim recalled one method in which CIA personnel forced him to lay on a sheet of plastic while they beat him and poured ice-cold water on him before rolling him up in the plastic sheet. They repeatedly, uh, uh, repeatedly alternated between interrogating him and putting him back on the ground for the cold water treatment. Now, this is a quote from Salim. He goes, the, referring to the interrogator he goes he told me I know you're a seaman but here rain not finish
0: I don't know what that means
1: like you're you're used to being out on the water and it rains out there when you're fishing but you get to go back to the land and it's fine here motherfucker we're just gonna keep dousing you with this cold water interrogating you dousing you with the cold water it's never gonna end they tortured this guy and he still lives with nightmares and and all this stuff and you know that's one example mm-hmm. Mohammed Ahmed Ben Saud the CIA used torture methods on Ben Saud that were similar to the ones they inflicted on Salim wall slammings beatings confinement in boxes water torture forced stress positions blaring music forcing him to be naked for prolonged periods of time and denying him light food or sleep during the quote aggressive phase of of his interrogation Ben Saud was hung naked from a metal rod by his arms with the balls of his feet barely reaching the floor Western rock music blasted through the room, which was pitch black, except for a small blinking light at eye level. One of Ben Saud's legs was still broken from a gunshot wound sustained during the raid in Pakistan. The conditions caused him to hallucinate. and By the time he was released from the hanging position a day and a half later, he was unable to walk. That's the type of stuff that I believe, and I can only take him at his word, Donald Trump would like us to do to more people. Because, look, waterboarding's not good enough. We should be doing more. We should make the laws higher or whatever he says. And I, I can only assume that's what he's talking about. If he, I'm putting that out there. It's a legend. But if he wants to comment on that, feel free. Mandatory Samson Podcast, gmail.com. We'll set it up. You can call him. We can talk about it.
0: Well, and also, have to keep in mind that when someone's hallucinating, they're going to tell you exactly what you want to hear.
1: No, that's actual intelligence, Joey. That's oh. th- Right. I love that you brought that up. Right. You're being sarcastic. But right. But this is all in the guise of... This is so we could stop terror. Yeah, I, I'm sure the guy that you, you've you beaten and interrogated and rolled up in an ice-cold sheet for days on end, yeah, I'm sure he's got a lot of information that he he's just going to provide to you, and it's going to be really helpful. And you even charged with the poor bastard, too. You what? You charged the poor bastard with something, right? No, they're not
0: charged. Oh, they're not None charged. None no. Oh. Uh,
1: Ghoul Rachman. Rachman is the only prisoner known to have died in the CIA's interrogation program. According to the Senate torture report, Jessen personally, Jessen, one of the guys named in the lawsuit, personally examined Rachman at the Cobalt facility to assess which interrogation techniques would be most effective in breaking him down. Jessen participated and oversaw parts of the interrogation techniques applied to Rachman, which included depriving him of sleep for two days, subjecting him to frigid showers and rough takedowns, a technique that involved Rachman being stripped naked, hooded, beaten and dragged across concrete and dirt floors. CIA personnel found Rachman dead in his cell less than a month after he entered their custody. The Senate torture report revealed that the CIA concluded his cause of death was likely hypothermia caused quote in part by uh, being forced to sit on the bare concrete floor without pants, as well as dehydration, lack of food and immobility to short chaining, which means they chain you at like odd angles. So you can really not move too much and you're sort of stuck in one position, but it's very uncomfortable. Well, I simply put, they fucking killed him. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, this is the uh, this this sentence I think sums it up. The family is still hoping for Rachman's body to be returned so they can have a proper burial. So not only did they kidnap a guy who has never been charged with anything, has never been proven that he did anything, in all likelihood was an innocent man, um, they tortured him to death. And now his family's lone hope is that they can get his disfigured body back so they can put him in the ground... And at least have the closure of that. That's that's their goal. Mm-hmm. That's what they're hoping for. Great. That's a leg that is a legacy that we, our generation, the Bush administration is going to fucking have to live with. And nobody went to jail on the on the Bush side. I hope these CIA psychologists, I hope they go to jail because they clearly deserve to be there. This is not helping us. This is not preventing terror from happening. It is putting sadists in charge of an interrogation program and seeing what happens. And I don't know who that benefits other than the, the people that get to be there and create the program. Because apparently they like the sadistic shit that they did to these people for absolutely no reason, as far as I could tell. And also the other thing is it just breeds h- hatred. No doubt
0: about it. When, when – People hear what they did to this guy who wasn't even charged.
1: Right, it gets them upset. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's that, totally, and that's that's the argument against Guantanamo Bay and a lot of this stuff. You're just breeding resentment on top of a situation that's already bad, based on the relations that we've had with parts of the Middle East forever. So, no doubt about it. And and so let's do it even more. Right. Yeah. Let's let's talk tough because talking tough and doing things that don't work. Is the way to get democracy handed out around the world. That's that's sort of our ideology. It's fucked up shit. I'm gonna stay on top of that, and I really, really hope that the guys that are being sued go to prison. They should go to prison. Period. That's not gonna happen. We'll see what happens. All right, about an hour and fifteen minutes. In. We got like ten minutes left. You ready to do this? all yes. All right. We got into some heavy topics. We're going to close it up with a little bit of lighter stuff. And actually, this 2016 update, I'm actually just going to cut something from it. That's fine. Let's get into the Caitlyn Jenner video, which I'm very happy about. You ready to watch this thing? Now, you haven't seen this, Joe. Did you hear anything about this. what Caitlyn Jenner was up to this week? No, I did not. It's a good transition into the the Kurt Schilling shit, which we're going to end with. But obviously, off the, the LGBT stuff in North Carolina, the transgender bathroom things, Trump came out and was one of the few Republican candidates, to his credit, that was like, I let a transgender person use any bathroom in a Trump hotel. I don't care. They can use whatever bathroom. It's fine. So, Caitlyn Jenner did something cool this week, which I actually really appreciate. I think it's kind of funny and it's a good move. You're what, God?
0: I was just going to say, I was going to try to put you on the spot about not covering North Carolina, but you kind of just did it. It's a good job.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've talked. I mean, we can get into it for a second. Obviously, I think, I mean, I couldn't be more against the idea of discriminating it's like let people use whatever bathroom they want it doesn't bother me gay people get married it's like do whatever you want it really is it doesn't affect me in any way and even if it 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 offended me or something which it clearly doesn't do you still have the right to do it that's what i'm saying it's like of course You're, you're just gay it doesn't make a difference sleep with whoever you want, marry whoever you want, pee in whatever bed. Ba- I don't care. I really don't. Because the the whole argument that Schilling is bringing up, it's like, I don't want my daughter in there with some dude dressed as a woman. Why? Molesting your daughter is a crime no matter what the person's wearing or what the bathroom door says. So it doesn't matter. Dumb, dumb. Caitlyn Jenner over here. Mm-hmm. Well, and to your point about, yeah, I, the reason why I don't bring it up is because like, it's getting plenty of attention. That was one of the ethos you know, ideas of this podcast. If it's, if you know about it and it's being covered a lot, we don't have to weigh in. You kind of know from the shit that I talk about in this podcast, how I feel about Mm -hmm. that. Obviously, no, I don't think we should have discriminatory laws like that. That's where it crosses over. And that's the, that's the difference. When Kurt Schilling is saying words, Those words, at worst, are hurtful, which I don't want people to have their feelings hurt. I don't want transgender people to feel discriminated against, but they are just words. When you start passing laws against people, that's when the problem takes place, and that's what we should really be um, dealing with, and and I think people are dealing with that. So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. it is what it is. This is Caitlyn Jenner in New York City this week doing a smart thing, doing a cool thing, probably doing the best thing she's done as Caitlyn Jenner other than becoming Caitlyn Jenner, right? Mm -hmm. Play play
0: oh my god a trans woman in new york i gotta
1: take a pee anyway um hold on you know let me start it over here Here we go.
0: oh my god a trans woman in new york i gotta take a pee anyway um oh my god the trump international hotel i love this okay last week donald trump said i could take a pee anywhere in a trump facility so i am gonna go take a pee in the ladies room Okay.
1: Oh, that is awesome. Great premise. This is a minute clip. And per- like, here's the thing. When you talk about activism and like, what good is she doing? This is good. This mm-hmm. is activist. Like, this is actually an activist move to do this, and I think it's great. So now she's entering uh, Trump Plaza. Can I just say this? As I was watching this last night, mm-hmm. I was thinking about talking about this video. It is it is a credit to human beings. And this is the thing. We, we always talk about the country's kind of going to shit, which it is, and whatever, but there is still good in humanity. And Part of it is we've all we've all pretty much, like, rational people are just like, we're calling Bruce Jenner Caitlyn Jenner now. Mm-hmm. We're saying she. That's Bruce Jenner. But she doesn't want to be called Bruce Jenner anymore. She wants to be called Caitlyn Jenner. We're all like, all right, fine. That's good. That's yes. progress as a speaker. That's nice. What, what is the big deal? I take her at her word. She's Caitlyn Jenner now. Fine. Good. You are Caitlyn Jenner, and you're doing something good for everybody. It's just an interesting thing that, like, we all pretty much did get on board with that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and there she goes, right into the Trump International Hotel and Tower. Up oh, she's in the lobby and as she looks and she goes, ladies' room. Thank you.
0: M, not
1: anymore. <laughs> she passes the men's bathroom and goes, M, not anymore. Nope. Makes a joke. There you go. Coming out.
0: and by the way Ted nobody got
1: molested (laughs) great job I mean Caitlyn Jenner comes out she said by the way Ted nobody got molested and get a little wink to the camera then walked out walked our sweet ass out of there Mm -hmm. thoughts on that Joey I just thought it was a good thing to do it's fun it makes a point it's only a minute it's not preachy but it's just like yeah dude does this like is this a problem for you really from for somebody that is like me or whatever to go into the woman's bathroom like who cares it's not a problem. Not a problem. I agree. Um, all right. Let's close up with this, Joey. Because I feel like we got into a lot this week. I mean, we did a yeah, good we did. Chat with this. Kurt Schilling update. <laughs> now, I wanted to bring this up because I actually got a Snapchat from my man Nick on Snapchat. And, uh, he said, Hey brother, listen to the most recent podcast. Just have to put my two cents in. Kurt Schilling. Isn't a dumb guy. I know it says is, but he, he had a typo and we kept going. He goes, isn't a dumb guy. I personally know him from a video game that I did alpha tests on. He owned a developing company called, uh, 38 studios. He can be a huge asshole and he's very opinionated, but dumb is a misnomer, but pretty much agree with everything else. Um, you guys say, haha mm-hmm. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. That's kind of cool, um, to get that kind of information. Right, because I called him a dummy a number of times last week. But yeah Okay, look, strictly speaking, maybe he's not a dummy. I think his opinion is is off base. It's dumb. Um, and like Nick said, he can be opinionated and kind of an asshole, but he's not stupid. Fair enough. This is Kurt Schilling's quote. We're going to end with this. It was apparent to me early on that if you wanted to go off topic as a sports person, you had to go off topic left or you were going to get in trouble. Some of the most racist things I've ever heard have come out of the people that are on the air at ESPN. They're some of the biggest racists in sports commentating. The memo that was sent out more than once was about they wanted on-air talent to focus on sports. To me, that means focus on sports unless you want to talk about something that is part of the liberal agenda. You listen to Stephen A. Smith, and Stephen A. Smith was the guy who said that Robert Griffin didn't play quarterback for the Redskins because he's black. No, Robert Griffin didn't play quarterback for the Redskins because he was bad. Tony Kornheiser compared to the, uh, the Tea Party to ISIS. I don't know any planet where those are sports topics, but I don't care. It's okay. I think those conversations need to happen. But as soon as you go to the flip side, the right side, uh, there are repercussions for not talking about sports. Let me say this. Having an opinion that Robert Griffin Jr. didn't play for the Redskins because he's black is a sports-related topic. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't even follow football. I don't know. Who, Who knows? It's possible, I guess, but... But the, the Tony Kornheiser thing. Uh, yeah, I think the, that's t- what he's referring to. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 not sports. I, look, again, do I agree with anything Kurt Schilling's saying most of the time? No. But yeah, I believe him when he's saying, like, unless you're going to be talking about, because ES, didn't ESPN cover the, it's the Espies. that's them, that's their uh-huh. thing. They honored Caitlyn Jenner at that thing.
0: Who used to be an athlete.
1: Used to be an athlete, right. But but is that sport? That's quasi-sports. Related. Like, that's a gray area, but it is to mm. the left, right? Except accepting that and being like, oh, we're so proud of you. You did all this stuff. So I get his point. And I think he should, again, if he's not saying it at ESPN, he's just saying it on his personal page, it's a chilling effect, not letting him say it.
0: But also the Caitlyn Jenner thing blew up the way it did because she was a known celebrity to begin with.
1: Of course, it's for ratings. Oh, absolutely. But, but, t- I and mean, we talked about that last week mm-hmm. too. The shit that he said about Muslim people, the reason why he didn't get fired of that is because a lot of people probably agree with it didn't hurt his ratings. When he starts getting into like this topic about transgender and the bathroom thing, a lot of people are going to get upset about it and offended. So of course he gets fired. By the way, let me just say this. I know we covered it on the show, but mm-hmm. I want to reiterate it. Caitlyn Jenner's people paid like essentially forced the ESPYs to give her that award because um, ABC is owned by Disney, which owns ESPN and ABC. And they were like, we'll pull out of that Diane Sawyer interview if you don't give her the ESPY award. And they were like, okay, okay, okay. Mm. Just putting it out there. Yeah. Uh, See, th- my question
0: is, in what context did Tony even say that about the Tea Party? Who gives a shit? I don't care. Because this it's all is all the about- point. I don't
1: care what Tony Kornheiser thinks about anything. I don't care. I don't even watch ESPN. Yeah, but I'm trying to protect my boy Kurt Schilling. Mm-hmm. And he's
0: trying to make a point.
1: Look, if Kurt Schilling's point is simply I should be allowed that there's a double standard for what's allowed to be said by ESPN commentators, I agree with him. He's right. Okay. I'm sure there is because he didn't say it on the air. He posted something to his goddamn Facebook. I agree. We don't have to go crazy into it again, but I totally agree. I don't care. Let Schilling be Schilling when he's at home and when he's on ESPN. Let him talk about the fucking curveballs and the the split fingers. That's it. Could you make me a shirt that says "Let Schilling be Schilling"? I don't know how I'd make, I mean, you act as though I have some kind of printing press, but yeah, I mean, if I get access to one, absolutely, I'll make you okay. one. Um, Joey, good episode? Great episode. Yeah, I thought that was good. I mean, I'm glad. I cut a bunch of stuff even from this episode. I, I was like worried that we weren't going to have, we we just had too much stuff to get into this week, but I think we did it justice and I have a lot of stuff already lined up for you next week. You just cut off the fat, right? Just the fat? You know what? It's that yes, I cut off some fat, but then stuff that I was like, "This is uh sort of evergreen stuff that we can get into." It's not like right this week needs to be talked about. I you know I put it off for next week yeah. and we'll, we'll get into it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We love seeing the numbers go up for this podcast. We put in a lot of work on it. And we appreciate all the. Uh, Love that we get in return. It's it's a symbiotic relationship, and we, we, we appreciate it. Soundcloud.com slash Mandatory Samson. You can go on there. You can follow us. You can leave a comment on the track. Joey, 100 goddamn percent this week will be responding to your co- questions and comments. I always do, and I like having conversations with you guys on there. Um, oh, you can go on iTunes. You can rate review you could subscribe on itunes that helps us go up the charts gets more eyes on the podcast and we get more listens and it could be a good thing for everybody we're also on google play now joey nice so if you're an android user like i am uh you can uh, listen to the podcast in a new way if you'd like youtube.com slash mandatory Sampson full episode videos go up. Um, you can also watch the show stream live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Give or take uh, depending on how late we start, but usually around four. And, uh, also you can check out clips that Evan cuts out of the shows and we put up a video clip. He's making a face cause he didn't do it this week, but that's okay. He's going to have one from this week. I'm positive, right? Positive. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's going to, he'll, he'll cut out some clips and you guys can like share those around. It's just like an easier way to, uh, Maybe get people interested in the program. Email us, mandatorysampson at gmail.com. I like hearing from you guys. It's always fun to, you know, have a little dialogue and potentially talk about it on the podcast. Twitter, I'm at mansamp. Joey is at Joey from Jersey. Jersey is spelled with a Z. Snapchat, same names for both of us. I'm on Instagram, at mansamp. Don't worry about Joey's Instagram. He'll get it corrected. Someday. Someday soon. What I do know, Joey... Mm -hmm. is that we're going to be back next Thursday and the Thursday after and the Thursday after. As long as you guys are listening, we're going to keep doing the show. And we love it and we love you. And we will talk to you next week. (laughs) This has been a Stand Up Labs production
0: powered by digital media. Subscribe to new and archive episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and find all of our shows at StandUpLabs.nyc. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Yeah.